there is a, a kind of middle ground that we can walk, and that has to do mostly with avoiding too extreme attitudes towards enhancement. Welcome to the Wait and Speak podcast. I'm your host, Rikweer Wait. My guest for today is Susan Hall. We'll be speaking about the ethics of human enhancement. And without further ado, here's the interview. Susan, welcome to the Wait and Speak podcast. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be with you. Yes, I'm, I'm really excited for this interesting topic. And um, I've tried to think about it. Um, you know, you've, you've shared some wonderful resources me, with me in advance to this interview. Um, so maybe just as an introduction, I'll, I'll touch on some of the thoughts um, for our listeners. Um, if you think about activities like um, f- uh, physical fitness routines, wearing glasses and taking music lessons, um, you know, to enhance your abilities, you won't really think there's, there should be any philosophical problems about that or that type of human enhancement. Uh, but then you think you look at other examples such as Elon Musk's Neuralink, um, which is his new neurotechnology company that is developing an implant designed to interface directly with the human brain. And I think these might be the types of questions that you, you uh, are concerned with in the work that you do. So could you perhaps tell us what are the types of enhancements that are considered in this ethical and philosophical in, in the ethical and philosophical debates on the ethics of, of human enhancement? Thanks. So I think we can distinguish between the types of enhancement in two ways. Uh, first of all, we can think about the different means of, of human enhancement, um, mm-hmm. specifically when we're talking about biotechnological human enhancement. And then we might be thinking about genetic enhancement, so that would be gene editing to manipulate certain characteristics, um, pharmaceutical enhancement, so the use of drugs, uh, such as Prozac or hormone treatments to manipulate certain characteristics, or increasingly the use of devices, so nanotechnology, brain implants, the kind of thing that you were talking about in your introduction, but also something like smart prosthetics, smart prostheses, that might be incorporated into our biological bodies. And there we start to think about something like cyborgs from science fiction. So there's these different means that we can use to enhance. And then we can distinguish between the different kinds of characteristics that we might be enhancing. So we might think about cognitive enhancement, enhancement of intelligence, memory, rational capacity, uh, moral enhancement is currently a very big topic in the bioethics literature. So the enhancement of our capacity to behave altruistically and think about others, um, the enhancement of mood, uh, the enhancement of how we feel, and then, of course, physical enhancement. So enhancement of our height, our appearance, or perhaps our, our physical stamina. So we can distinguish between different ways of enhancing and different kinds of characteristics that we might want to enhance. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Susan, something quite interesting you mentioned now is moral moral um, enhancement. So what is the thinking behind that? How can we enhance? Is it by types of training or what are the th- what's the thinking behind moral enhancement? Well, of course, we, we already engage in moral enhancement all the time, environmental moral enhancement. So when we try and instill different kinds of morals in our children and educate them, we are already engaging in moral enhancement. But when from the enhancement literature, we're thinking about biotechnological moral enhancement. So that could again be genetic enhancement if we are able to come to a stage where we can identify um, genes that are responsible for altruistic behavior or for antisocial behavior. We might want to edit those genes. 
or even something like providing hormones. So there have already been some experiments performed or some research performed in uh, oxytocin, giving it a certain kind of hormone which seems to um, enhance our capacity to behave altruistically towards others. And even something like um, the use of recreational drugs like MDMA or ecstasy, some philosophers have suggested that that might be a way that we can uh, increase our capacity to behave lovingly towards others. So, again, it could be various kinds of moral enhancement. Uh, And, of course, many people think that would be a very good thing, that that would improve the world if we can manipulate our natures in such a way that we consider others, that we are more likely uh, not to be selfish, to behave altruistically towards others and so on. Mm. Wow, that's really fascinating. And and that just uh, made me think about uh, Tim Ferriss, another author. I know he's really funding a lot of research around the use of psychedelics, um, also in terms of treating um, specific conditions. And so it's quite, quite interesting. And it seems from what you've said, um, this is now just my, perhaps my simplification of a more complex uh a theme um, it seems to be these these two parts the one might be to to use enhancement to treat um, or prevent specific um, debilitating diseases and then on the other side there's the ability to manipulate our own nature and, the, and then I assume these these different types of um, questions and dilemmas we face in these two two areas um, because they are slightly different so perhaps it e- it's easier to make an argument for an enhancement which prevents a disease as opposed to giving an athlete or a long distance runner a, a edge over his competitors or his or her competitors um, so, so could you perhaps touch on what are the ethical dilemmas um, if it's possible to, to distinguish between these two areas um, some of the questions that you look at and then I think something that you work on specifically is what you've what you've also touched on is around um, genetic enhancement and where this fits into this debate uh, okay so so first of all I think it remains an open question in the literature whether the treatment of disease is a form of enhancement. So there's, I think most people think of treatment and enhancement as two different kinds of interventions. I, I don't think they're two different kinds of interventions. I think that the treatment of disease is just a different kind of enhancement, a different form of enhancement, and the treatment improves our capacity to recover from disease, our natural or normal species-typical um, capability to, to recover from diseases or to treat disease. Um, But of course, we do already make use of enhancements to prevent disease, and the the best known of those would be vaccination or or immunizations of of various kinds. So vaccinations are are clearly a kind of of enhancement. They uh, improve, enhance our our natural immune systems and help us to resist certain kinds of diseases. And both uh, treatment and preventative medicine, which I think of certainly as a kind of enhancement, are certainly regarded as less morally contentious than the uh, kinds of enhancement that that you've also spoken about there, the the way in which we can improve upon our natural functioning, our height, our cognitive functioning, and so on. Uh, So, of course, there are ethical issues attached to something like vaccination, which I certainly think is a kind of enhancement. But those have to do more with whether the enhancement is safe, whether vaccinations are safe, anti-vaxxers are not convinced that those enhancements 
are safe, for example. But in general, medicine and the treatment of disease is regarded as much less morally contentious than um, the other kinds of enhancement that we've spoken about, making us better than well, improving upon our normal function. Um, that seems to be because treating disease or preventing disease is seen as removing or preventing harm, whereas the other kinds of enhancement are making us better. That's regarded as, as less morally laudable or more morally suspect. And that's despite the fact that we, have, of course, enhance ourselves environmentally all the time. Um, a genetic enhancement is, is perhaps seen as particularly worrisome, and that is because of two different traits of the way in which the relationship between our, our genotype and our, our phenotype functions. So first of all, most of any sort of complex human characteristic like intelligence, like impulse control, um, like height even, are these, these characteristics are polygenic. So they are influenced or affected by more than one gene. And human genes are pleiotropic, so one gene affects more than one characteristic. And because of that, it can be very difficult, or it's seen as very difficult to manipulate these complex human characteristics. And that is distinct from gene therapy that would be directed towards treating genetic diseases. So in some cases, diseases are a single gene, are affected or impacted by a single gene, like cystic fibrosis, sickle cell anemia, Huntington's disease, that involves manipulating. If you're going to fix that, that would be simply editing one gene. Whereas you're talking about enhancement, like enhancing something like intelligence, you're going to be manipulating a number of different genes, and those genes in turn uh, have an impact upon a number of different characteristics. So it certainly makes it more complicated. And even when we're thinking about diseases that are polygenic, that are impacted upon by more than one gene, uh, some critics or some uh, scholars think that it would be easier to sort of work out what's gone wrong and fix it rather than trying to manipulate uh, genes in such a way so as to in improve upon capacities, complex human characteristics. Mm. Uh, does that answer your question? Yes, no, that that's fantastic. Thank you, Susan. And 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 then um, linked to this, the, the idea of cloning. So we know, you know, there's there've been experiments and the idea that we could eventually clone people. Um, where does this fit in? Is this also part of this um, the the this debate, or is it kind of a, a bigger bigger debate on its own? Yes, I think that's that is to some extent a separate debate. Um, and that has to do more uh, with the means of producing people. Uh, it is, mm. to some extent, related in that if you are cloning, you might have the opportunity at the pre-implantation stage to manipulate certain characteristics. But I, but I do think it is, to some extent, a, a separate debate there. Perhaps if I could just come back to one additional feature that makes genetic intervention more contentious than other kinds of interventions, whether we're talking about therapy or enhancement, we also need to distinguish between two different kinds of, of gene editing. And the one would be somatic gene editing, where you are editing a gene in such a way that it will only affect one individual, the individual whose genes you are working on, mm -hmm. and germline gene editing that would affect 
genes that are then passed on, that are heritable, that are, are passed on to the next generation. And obviously mm. germline gene editing would then again be more contentious than somatic gene editing as you're, you're affecting a whole range of, of descendants rather than just one individual. And, and and I'm assuming that there's the risk of unintended consequences when you when you do something like that with the we have future generations that will be influenced by such a change that you do now. Um, you know, we, you don't exactly know what the, what what are the longer term impacts of something like that. Uh, certainly, and even unintended consequences when we just are editing one gene for one individual. So some of the animal studies have have shown quite interesting results. Uh, one study was focusing on pain perception. I, I can't remember if it was in rats or mice, but we're trying to edit genes that were responsible for the perception of pain with the idea that this could eventually be developed into a kind of therapy um, that would decrease the perception of chronic pain in, in human beings. Obviously, that's not possible now, but it was a, the early stages of that kind of research. And what was shown by that was that when you... Um, in the, the first effect that they noticed in these, these animals was that they seemed to become clever, or at least their memories seemed to be enhanced. And when their memories were enhanced, this um, also increased pain perception in, in the animals. So the, the goal was to do something to do with pain perception, and that ended up having an impact upon memory. Now, obviously, that has an implication if we're going to be uh, editing genes or modifying genes that are responsible for enhancing the memory of human beings, that might have unintended consequences uh, with regard to remembering traumatic events or pain perception and so on. So, yes, unintended consequences is something that we would have to be uh, very cautious about. And I I, I guess it's almost like... um, to make the analogy with with medicine that you know medicine can treat a specific symptom or disease but um, most medicines come with a whole list of possible um, side effects so I, I guess it's it's in a similar vein that these types of interventions have these unintended consequences or, or side effects yes um then Susan delving deeper into these debates um, Buckingham suggests that the debate around enhancement is mainly characterized by kind of a division between uh, pro-enhancement or not not between pro-enhancement and anti-enhancement schools of argument but rather between anti-enhancement and anti-anti-enhancement views could you please explain what is meant by this this distinction and thinking behind it okay so so Buchanan distinguishes or wants to make the point that we're not dealing with pro and anti arguments in the literature um for the most part. So we have a group of scholars who argue that enhancement is wrong, so they argue against enhancement, and then opposed to that group of scholars or opposed to those arguments, we have those who argue against those who argue against enhancement. Mm. In other words, who offer um, a counter-arguments against the arguments against enhancement. In other words, they argue that enhancement is morally acceptable, that the arguments against enhancement are are not valid or not reliable. So they are not necessarily arguing actively in favour of enhancement, in in Mm. arguing that enhancement is sort of a moral good, that we should pursue it. They are simply saying, well, the arguments against enhancement don't hold and therefore enhancement might be morally acceptable. So those are the anti-enhancement arguments. Okay, that makes sense. In recent years, more of a pro-enhancement literature has started to develop. So this would be those that argue that 
enhancement is not only morally acceptable, but that some kinds of enhancement are morally good, positively morally good, and that we might even have some kind of obligation to provide those kinds of enhancements. Um, and I would fall into that category myself. I think that there are some kinds of enhancements, given that we can prove their safety uh, and effects, uh, that they have the effects that they're intended to have, that those enhancements might be morally obligatory or a moral good in some way. And, and and I'm assuming, you know, one argument might be in terms of quality of life. If, if, if something like this can enhance someone's quality of life without you know, major risks, then it, you could make the argument that it might be more acceptable. Yes, more so if, if they are shown to be safe and that they are likely to really impact upon and improve and enhance human well-being, then I think you can make the argument that we've got good reasons for pursuing those kinds of technologies. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, Susan, there, in some of the work that you've done, you identify um, three broad groups of arguments against um, genetic enhancement. Could you maybe tell us a bit more, um, you know, what, what are some of those arguments just to get the broader context? Sure. So I have identified three kinds of arguments against enhancement. The first of those would be, I don't want to use too much illegal terminology here, but kind of deontological arguments against enhancement. So they think there's something inherently wrong with enhancement itself. And those arguments tend to focus upon human nature. So they think that enhancement is an inherent threat to human nature. And that might be because enhancement is likely to transform us or enhance us out of the human species. That's a bad thing. Or that enhancement is going to undermine or get rid of certain kinds of important capacities that we think of as central to human identity. So that might be something like the value that we place on making an effort to achieve a certain goal or the value we place on sort of human vulnerability or fragility um, or accepting people for who they are. So those are all important human values and arguments from human nature think that enhancement might um, undermine or threaten those kinds of human values. So that's the first group of arguments against enhancement. Mm-hmm. The second group is uh, consequentialist arguments against enhancements. And as you can probably tell from that name, these, these arguments tend to focus on the possible bad consequences that widespread human enhancement could have. So these are often the kinds of arguments that we see portrayed in science fiction, like Gattaca, if you remember that movie Gattaca, uh, portrayed mm-hmm. as a society in which enhancement had exacerbated inequality and discrimination between the enhanced members of society and the unenhanced members of society. Um, so the concern here is that those who have access to a lot of wealth will be able to access enhancements, and those who are not wealthy or don't have the available resources, or even countries that have less available resources, won't be able to access these technologies, and we'll then see a widening um, of the gap between the rich and the poor, and that we'll then see prejudice and enhancement between these groups. Um, And then, of course, the other major concern about bad consequences is that they would be unsafe, that the the enhancement technologies would go wrong in ways that we couldn't predict and that would threaten human safety. So that's Mm -hmm. the second group of arguments, that enhancement would have bad consequences. And then finally, there is the argument that enhancement 
is just incompatible with the goals of medicine. So if enhancement is something that we're going to achieve by means of medical interventions or biomedical interventions, that there's something wrong with that because that is not what medicine is supposed to do. Medicine is supposed to treat disease and not to make us better than well. So uh, that if enhancement is to be pursued, it's not doctors and health professionals who ought to be doing that because they should be engaged with something else. So that is broadly the third group of arguments against enhancement. Hmm. Very, very interesting. And, and, and Susan, then on the counter side, what are, some, what are the two groups that argue in, kind of in favor of, of genetic enhancement? So amongst those who think that enhancement is morally acceptable, the major argument there or the major principle that they call upon there is the principle of autonomy. So that we uh, as human beings ought to be able to make choices about our own lives. Autonomy is a very central human value. And that that freedom to make choices should imply that we should be able to choose enhancement if we want to, should be able to enhance certain characteristics if we want to, and if those are available, because we should be able to choose what kind of life to live, and that should include the ability to choose these kinds of enhancement technologies. And then, of course, also reproductive autonomy, so that we generally think that parents should have a, a lot of leeway in deciding how to raise their children, and that for those who, who think that that is important, um, that that might also include the freedom to choose uh, certain kinds of enhancements for your children. So the mm-hmm. autonomy is, is central to for those who argue that enhancement is morally acceptable. So that's the one argument in favour of enhancement. The other argument in favour of enhancement is, a, again, a consequentialist argument, and it's, it's, it proceeds just from a position of human welfare. So here the position is that it might be the case, if these technologies can be shown to be effective and safe, that they increase human well-being, that they make our lives better and easier and more fulfilling and expand our range of opportunities, that that's going to increase human well-being and human happiness. And doing nothing, choosing not to make use of these technologies is also making a choice. You're making a choice to do nothing. So if you have to make a choice between doing nothing, not using the technologies, and using the technologies, and if you use the technologies, you're going to increase human welfare, some would argue that you should go for the choice that's going to increase human welfare, and that would be a choice in favor of at least certain kinds of enhancement technologies. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Susan, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, if there's some type of a middle ground as a means of assessing these types of, equi- of questions. But, but from our discussion, it, I can I can pick up it's it's not really that easy, um, or it would be uh, oversimplifying perhaps. So that's just my impression. Um, and I think you know, answering these types of dilemmas would really be uh, it needs to be on a almost almost on a case by case or very specific basis, and then you need to talk through these different arguments when. You know, you're coming to some type of a conclusion, uh, but then I, I think more, um, more, more of these types of questions might come up, and um, in terms of you know, as new technologies come up, um, they'll present us with more challenging questions around something like what does it actually mean to be human? Um, so it'd be, it would be interesting to get your your view on that. Well, I think moving forward as new technologies are developed and as these envisaged technologies have become more realistic and start to become available, 
there is a, a kind of middle ground that we can walk. Uh, and that has to do mostly with avoiding two extreme attitudes towards enhancement. On the one hand, I think we need to avoid the attitude that these things are just gross and uh, yucky, (laughs) that we should avoid Mm -hmm. them for that reason. So that's sometimes called the yuck factor in bioethics, that we avoid certain kinds of novel technologies because we're just uneasy about them, we're not familiar with them, and they seem kind of gross and (laughs) disgusting to us. We We experience a form of repugnance towards those. I think we should avoid that attitude and just reject enhancement out of hand because that's not relying on on rational argument. Um, We we tend to have a bias in favour of the status quo. So we should really examine these technologies rationally and systematically. And when we do that, I think when we make arguments in favour of and against enhancement, what I think we really need to bear in mind is whether we are being consistent so if we're arguing, for example, that, that enhancements might exacerbate inequality and that people shouldn't be allowed to purchase enhancements for their children, well, then we need to ask, well, why do we allow people to purchase environmental enhancements, like a private school education, for their children? Uh, mm-hmm. so we need to be consistent and even-handed with regards to how we apply these arguments against enhancement. So we should avoid outright rejection of enhancement, I think. On the other hand, I think we should also avoid a sort of gung-ho, pursue-at-all-costs attitude towards enhancement technology that just runs into it full steam ahead, Um, both because we've already identified some concerns about safety, but also with regard to unintended consequences. And not just unintended consequences with respect to how a particular intervention might not have the immediate effect that we we wanted to, but also in terms of longer-term societal consequences. So if we think about something like uh, the adoption of the technology of the internet, social media, the adoption of those technologies has really changed society in quite fundamental ways and, and ways that we couldn't necessarily have predicted when we began to adopt those technologies. So we need to be cautious when we embrace enhancement technology too. So, yes, I think it's about evaluating individual enhancements of specific kinds of capacities and being cautious. If there is one rule of thumb that I would argue in favor of, it's specifically when we're choosing enhancements for others. So when parents are choosing enhancements for their children and when states are making available enhancements for their citizens, I think we should be guided between or guided by a distinction between different kinds of interests. So I think we should only be allowed to choose enhancements for others that that, uh, increase or enhance our welfare interests. In other words, interests that are good for you regardless of what life plan you're going to choose. So something like cognitive enhancement, certain kinds of cognitive enhancement or the enhancement of physical stamina, those might be good for you regardless of whether you want to be an artist or an academic or a jockey or uh, whatever life plan you're going to choose. I think we should be very cautious about choosing enhancements on behalf of others that uh, enhance very specific interests, so interests that are directed towards a particular kind of life plan. So, for example, parents choosing uh, for their children to be very tall because they want them to be a basketball player, 
they are then closing off a bunch of other opportunities for their children, like being a jockey. So I think we should be very cautious when we are choosing enhancements that restrict our range of opportunities and less, less cautious about enhancements that are generally good, generally promote well-being, and that expand our range of opportunities. I think those... Thank, thank you, Susan. Mm. Sorry, sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, go ahead. No, no, I wanted to say it, that that's really a very helpful synopsis you gave. And, and I think there are too many points for me to, to recap on. Um, but I think some of the things that stood out from your comments are obviously to have a kind of a balance, um, you know, not to not to come in with a bias, to be aware of your perhaps a bi- existing bias. We, you know, we, we might be averse to change and immediately think, no, this is yuck. Um and then, you know, but also consider the risks. And then something very important that you mentioned is, is consistency and, and the example of, you know, private education for your kids. Um, how do you approach that decision um, versus some of these other decisions? And then obviously the, the bigger issues when you make these, again, a big issue is when you make these types of decisions for others that affect others um, and, and then especially the welfare considerations. And then also that those decisions don't end up limiting um, the person that is affected by it, like the example you gave of the the basket in enhancing length um, because you want your kids to be a, your child to be a basketball player and actually ends up wanting to be a jockey and then it's it works against it. So so that's really a great great summary you gave. Thanks. Um, sorry, Susan, I, I interrupted you. Did you want to add anything else? I'm sorry about that. Uh, no, so the only thing I, I wanted to add was to say that I, while I don't think other people should be able to choose these opportunity-limiting enhancements on behalf of others, I think as adults, uh, once you've reached the stage of adulthood and you then want to choose very specific enhancements for yourself based upon the life plan that you've already chosen, I think in that case we can we can allow more leeway. But in that case, we should, again, respect autonomy and let people make those choices for themselves and not make them on behalf of others. Mm. So, so that context is quite important in making those decisions. Um, Susan, then, um, for, for our listeners that want to you know, learn more about this topic, are there any specific books or resources that you could recommend for them to, to go and have a look at? Certainly. So the best, I think, overview and introduction that I've encountered about this topic is Alan Buchanan's Beyond Humanity. Um, So that's a book that is directed towards perhaps a more academic audience. He has recently published a sort of slimmed down version of that for a wider audience, which is called Better Than Human. Um, So that's an overview of the debate. In terms of for and against, Michael Sandel, who is very well known for his, his lectures on justice from at Harvard University, has also published a short little book where he argues against enhancement. That's called The Case Against Perfection. On the pro side, John Harris uh, has a very positive view of enhancement or positive argument in favor of enhancement in his book, Enhancing Evolution. And then there are a number of books which consider specific kinds of enhancement. Uh, so one that I actually haven't read yet, but he's just come out, is by Brian Erpen, Julian Zabulescu. It's called Love Drugs, which is about uh, pharmacological enhancement of human relationships, particularly romantic human relationships that might be interesting for your listeners to check out. That sounds really interesting. It, it almost sounds like a bit of the, the matrix there. You know, how much, how does it affect your reality? <laughs> yes. 
Oh, Susan, thank you. This has really been a great pleasure speaking to you. Um, this is really a fascinating topic. And I think, um, you know, this is something you can go into more depth and perhaps we can chat about this again. Uh, but thank you. It was really great having you on the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. I've really enjoyed our conversation. And that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, happy listening.